You're listening to the International Literature Festival Dublin podcast. International Literature Festival Dublin is a Dublin City Council initiative kindly supported by the Arts Council. For all the latest festival news or to sign up to our newsletter, visit www.ilfdublin.com. Good evening and thank you so much for coming and thank you, Martin, for inviting us. Um, My day job is to listen to people who don't really have words when they first come to therapy, or maybe they have too many words and they don't know which ones are important. And I came to be a writer, which I have to accept is part of my identity, having written something like 13 books, Um, because I was very interested in the words that were being shared with me and the impact they had and the impact they had on the person who was doing the speaking. And all during my school career, I didn't ever do those essays that you had to do, except in A-levels, when you actually had to write them. And I realized it was because I really had nothing to say until I became a psychotherapist and wanted to share what I was learning in the consulting room with a wider audience. And the process of writing for me has really changed, and it's maybe because I'm not a real writer in the way the two of you are, I don't know, but I've been very interested in finding different forms to do things along the way. Um, So that at first I was just in broadcast mode. Look, this is what I've learned. And then it was like, well, how do I render the experience of what I'm hearing in a different way? Um, Anyway, we're not really here to talk about me, but it's made me think about why I write. And I now write to explore very much what I think about something, that I'll have an idea or two but I won't be able to articulate it sufficiently because I've now got addicted to the damn word processor and the words that seem to come and the way that I can play with them. And I, I, I don't know whether this is relevant to either of you two, but I also find that once there are some words on a page or a screen, that I've got something to play with. And... I rather enjoy that, and I absolutely love the fact that I could start some... I start in the morning with no words, and then there's words a few hours later, and there's something then to shape or do something with. So that's all I'm going to say as my introduction, um, because we're now going to talk to Gillian. She's going to say something about why she writes, and she's written for a very, very long time and in many, many different forms. And Gillian, over to you. Well, it it hadn't occurred to me, but taking from what Susie has just said, I could give one of my answers to to why write is because only when I have written can I rewrite, and it's rewriting that I really enjoy. I hate writing. (laughs) But once I've got it on paper, in the mess that it is, I can then restructure it, and that's where I get the sense of pleasure of writing. Um, 
I am, think of myself as a novelist, but I have also um, used other forms. I've written a memoir. And, and recently, I have done a number of verbatim plays, um, which um, are plays based on interviews that I've done, but structured by me into their stories. And it's been quite interesting for me, as a, who thinks of myself as a novelist, in the sense that, um, first of all, I've had to get dressed to go to work. Um, writing is very good for writing in your pajamas. Um, and I've had to go out and I've had to work with other people. And it's really been wonderful to work with a whole lot of creative people that are directors and um, you know, backstage people in the theater and actors who I think are so wonderful um, to work with. But what I've realized is if I do it too long, I miss myself. And what I miss is I miss being alone at my desk in my own head with my fingers, which are so much part of working on the word processor. And I think that's one of the reasons I write. I like to be creating inside myself. It makes me feel, it, I, I kind of feel like the plays are wonderful, but there's something else. The novels, when I am writing out of my own head, that's home for me. And I th what I think about it is, I write in the same way that as a kid I used to read and for the same reasons. Um, because I think stories for me provide me with some kind of security and at the same time they provide me with some kind of challenge. And so I had quite a traumatic early um, childhood in South Africa um, and I think one of the ways I soothed myself was by reading. Um, by being allowed to enter worlds that were not mine. And I suspect when I first started to write, I was looking for that same kind of soothingness. I wrote in the beginning, I wrote crime novels, and I always used to say the reason that I wrote crime novels was because that's what I read, because that's what I knew, because there's something very reassuring to me who didn't know if I could write about having a plot which would pull a story along. Um, and after I'd written about three of them, I realized that although all of those things were true, that was the reason why I chose that particular form and why I chose genre, there was actually another reason, which is the childhood that I had, my parents were politically involved in South Africa and a lot of what they did was illegal. And because of that, they never told us anything. And in order to feel my security, I used to eavesdrop, I used to try and work out what was going on. And I realized that when you write a detective novel, first of all, you write, I wrote in the first person, so I wrote in the persona of the detective, who in the end would find out everything, and whose whole role of a detective is to find out things that people um, are trying to keep from them. And I thought that is something about my childhood and something repairing something in myself. And, and at one point, I wrote five of these detective novels. I've given it up for very many reasons to do with the major one being that I, you know, plots are so important in crime novels and they prevent you from exploring character. And I wanted to explore character. But at one point after I had stopped writing, um, 
these crime novels. I was going on the radio to talk about one of them for some reason. And just before I was about to go on, I suddenly realized I hadn't read it recently and I didn't know what it was about. <laughs> so I turned to my editor, who luckily was there, and said, Lenny, could you tell me what was that book about? And she said, oh, it's about this and this and this. And I said, oh, again, yes, I got it. And what it was about was, it was about uncovering what had happened in the past um, and, and the results of what had happened in the past coming into the present. And for a very long time, I think that's what I wrote. I think I was trying to sort out what had happened in my past, but in fiction, not necessarily in characters that are me. So I'm going to end um, soon, but just to No, just keep going. We've got, <laughs> we've got time. The, the last thing, you know, what I, what I just said, not necessarily in characters that are me. I no longer believe that that is entirely true. It has taken me a long time of writing and also of beginning to teach other people to write, because I also teach creative writing, to understand that for myself at least, most of what I write is about me. Um, it's, I'm a political writer. I write about Leningrad in the, you know, in the 1930s. I write about Ceylon in the 1950s. I've, the, the recent one is set in sort of London in the now, but not quite now. There, a lot of my books are about politics and the impact on politics on people. So I go all over the world. I have all sorts of different characters. I have men, I have women. And it took me a long time to realize that they're all coming out of myself, you know? And that one of the things um, that, I, that, I, that I think about that is there is a tremendous joy of a writer of being able to explore parts of yourself safely. As an example, I wrote a book called Red Dust, which is set in South Africa in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And it has two characters, one of whom may be a murderer and one of whom was certainly a torturer. And when I set out to write this book, I didn't want to write those characters as if they were some kind of cipher, the baddies. And I thought, how am I going to write these men who are so much unlike me, who come from a different culture from me, who are a different gender, and whose political outlook is diametrically opposed to the one that I have? How am I going to write them and make them real? And what I set myself the task of saying is, these men, when they get up in the morning and they look in the mirror, do not say to themselves, look at you, you murderer. They think to themselves, you're looking good or you're not looking good, you need a shave or you don't need a shave. And that I had to write them from inside of that experience of what they and the people who loved them and the people they loved thought of them and not how I, the author, or the person I am thought of them. And I have to say, they were quite successful. They were more successful as characters than some of the people who are closer to me. Um, one, that's quite disturbing. But the other thing that I thought about that is, okay, so I have a job where I am allowed to access the murderous part of myself, the torturer 
part of myself and I do it in a very safe way because I'm not going to go out and do it. But I can imagine that for myself. It must be inside me and possibly that's why I write, make myself a better person. I think that's so interesting because you said, I write, if I'm not there, I miss myself. And then I can find these parts of myself that I didn't know were myself. So perhaps I meant I miss my many selves. Exactly, and I think that's why I find that fascinating and perhaps why we've known each other for a hundred years is because that is precisely the same as my job, which is I have to enter into spaces of extraordinary darkness, horror, aggression, distress, in order to situate myself in the shoes and the heart and the hurt and the fury of the person that I'm working with, while they're at the same time maybe hurting me in the therapy session, right? I have to be able to absorb all of that. So I think that's re it's a really interesting um, a kind of dual activity that in searching for self or searching for meaning or searching for connection, that one is not leaving out this very dark place that actually I think Danielle addresses so well in her writing um, in a way that's completely different and completely fascinating. But let me ask you, Gillian, because we were talking in the back, we were talking before, maybe we'll... That one of the things that you've said over the years is, and I think it's really interesting, you love rewriting. So is it that you, get the, is it that you feel secure once you've got the story? What, what is that piece? Well, we were discussing in, um, in the waiting room to hear, you know, could we present a problem to you? Yeah. And my problem, <laughs> as Susie knows, because it's an endless problem, is I never know what to write next. I don't know where to go to get ideas. And I suspect the reason for that is, and why I like rewriting and I hate writing is, I don't know what I want to say until I've begun to say it, and I don't know where it comes from. And I think that is partly the joy of writing. I mean, I think when writing's going really well, your characters will do things that surprise you, and you don't know where they came from. Of course, the answer is they came from inside you, because where else are they supposed to come from? But the trying to get myself into a position that I have enough words in order to be able to work with what it is that I want to, to work with. It's the, it's the unknowing that drives me crazy and maybe is the unknowing that makes me a writer. Exactly. Because people who don't care about the unwriting wouldn't go through the agony of trying to write it. <laughs> you know, it's too much hard work if you don't care. But if you have this need to know, but isn't but no. it, yeah, isn't it the delight of the, the not knowing that with the boundary of a story when you've got the story, that kind of... Yeah, Doctor, sometimes it doesn't feel like delight. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll come back to you. <laughs> Danielle. Okay, well, I brought a whole lot of um, writing challenges that I thought I would maybe just throw out there and see what Susie might say to them and what help you might have to offer. Um, I came to writing relatively late. 
it's a midlife career change for me and it wasn't planned. I'm very, very happy to be a writer, but for years I practiced as a solicitor and I had my own legal practice. And in 2009, I became very ill very suddenly and I had to stop work and I had to transfer my clients to another practice. And it was while I was ill and wasn't working that I started writing and I never went back to legal practice after that. And writing very quickly became a compulsion for me. It became an obsession and I don't use those words lightly. And sometimes I wonder how come when it's such a huge part of my life now, where was it for the first 40 years of my life? And how did that happen and what's that about? Um, maybe the first thing I'd like to throw so out So what do you think about that? Well, <laughs> I, have, I have, I suppose, tried to formulate various theories for it. I think that I found law a really creative job and I really liked law. Um, I know some people think of law as being very boring, but it's not. The number of stories and they're just magnificent stories and the details of people's lives and the drama. And I think working with words very, very closely and understanding the power of words when they're used in law, it just fascinated me. Um, even when I, I was still at school, um, before I even did my leaving cert, I remember being fascinated by legal language. And I loved um, reading those notices that people put in the newspapers when they have to advertise for, you know, permission to get a license for, for something. I loved, the, <laughs> I loved the legal language because it just amazed me. It was like a magic spell that you arrange words in a particular order and something follows out of that and you get it wrong and either something doesn't happen or something, you know, awful happens. And I love the power of legal language and I think when that went so suddenly and when a part of my life that I had worked so hard for for so long and um, that was so much part of me when that was gone, I think, you know, the working with words had to come out mm -hmm. maybe in another way. but as to why I never went back to law and why I took, I suppose, such a black and white approach to it, and that I'm a writer now and I'm going to do this obsessively and nothing else. Um, I think that's something in me. I'm not sure it's a good thing. <coughs> well, it produces wonderful stories. Uh, well, thank you. Um, they're, they're, they're quite bleak and quite dark stories sometimes, so I was... How I was do you understand that? Um, yeah. I don't know, I, I've jotted down here um, you know, that I was going to talk to you about the extent to which fear and anxiety feature in my work. I always seem to have characters who are on the edge of some crisis in their life. And okay, in one way, I think that is my bleak worldview leaking into the stories. But there's a contradiction there. And what you said about security and challenge really really resonated with me because the contradiction is that I remember when I started writing in, in the, early, the earliest years when I was 
um, just beginning to be a writer, that I had a very strong sense that between the first word and the last word of a story was a safe place. And I really, really felt that, that I could totally go there and was a safe place where I made the rules and I was completely in control and I could function within this world. And that was in spite of using really, really dark material. And I don't know, I've been thinking lately, I'd like to learn you know, how to work more happiness and joy <laughs> into my stories. I really would. I'm impressed by people like George Saunders who can um, deal with very troubling material, but um, have it, I suppose, very warm and funny and compassionate with elements of joy. And I'm wondering about how to work more towards that. I'm wondering, um, you know, in terms of fear and anxiety, are they, are they my truths or are they my habits? So, I don't know. That's something I'm just throwing out there. I have a whole load of other um, <laughs> things <laughs> with that, actually. <laughs> um, I, was, I also brought a snippet to read, but maybe I'll just keep throwing out the problem, since I have this <laughs> wonderful opportunity. <laughs> well, we can discuss certain things afterwards. But I mean, when you say, are fear and anxiety my truth? Mm. If you were to unpack those words for yourself, given you're a word merchant, what do they, what's, what's in those words? Well, I think that I tend to see the world as a very frightening place and I'm a very anxious person, so I, I battle with anxiety a lot. And maybe um, since, like you, I, I bring myself to my fiction, it's very much me. And maybe that is, that is the story I have to tell, that that is my lens of fear and anxiety, and that's being honest. But I do, um, I do notice that when I deal with my anxiety in other ways outside of fiction, that different elements start to, to push into my stories. So, Can you say more? I I'm not sure if I've understood. Uh, I think because... Okay, so if I look at when I started writing and I was in a very kind of... You know, I was ill and I was in quite a dark place and... I think fear w would have been very strong, maybe. And I think that, you know, now, today, I feel that I'm maybe less anxious as a person. Um, and I think maybe other things, there might be space for other things to come mm -hmm. into my writing. But I'm, I'm wondering, you know, this draw always to working with the darker material. And is it possible to, to move towards lightness? I, yeah, yeah. Are you saying you might be scared to lose the capacity to write if you lightened up? Um, I hadn't thought about it that way before now, but <laughs> Sorry. It, it is a possibility. It because is a possibility that this is how I've always done it, and this is the place from which I've written. Um, but is there, an, is there, along with the fear and anxiety, because I'm thinking about Gillian and the secrets and wanting to know, which is wanting to, the eavesdropping and the, and the, the desperation to get the story and get it right and get the, all the details. Is there, is there an excitement that's also in the fear and anxiety? I do like the sense that, um, you know, with writing a story, there's, 
There's nothing there when you start, and at the end, something exists that wasn't there before. So I do love that that challenge. I think it's what you were saying. Um, Except the, the I hate it. The mix between security <laughs> and, and challenge. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's that pull and tug because as a person who's prone to anxiety, I like to know that things would be a particular way. I like elements of certainty. And yet with a story, there has to be mystery. So I don't, it's, it's that, um, I suppose, the two things going there, the need for things to be exact and precise and at the same time have the mystery of story working alongside it. Um, I don't know. I, I take a huge number of drafts to write anything as well, I think. Which and what are you changing? Um, what am I changing? Or mm. What? Mm. Well, I mean, so you get the thing on the page. Yeah. And then what is it that's, what is it that your shape, is it, is it the temperature, is it the story, is it, what is it you're doing when you're when oh, you in say the rewrites? Yeah, when you say okay. I'm yeah. My, what my are you looking for there? What are you? Tr what what's troubling you or exciting you there? I'm not sure in that I c I will think I know where a story is going, but I, even <sighs> if I may have a plan, it will change mm -hmm. umpteen times and. I think sometimes when I try to explain my writing process and I say I do 40 or 50 drafts, I think sometimes people think that, you know, as I get towards the end, it's about polishing or tidying up paragraphs. But it isn't I can have a new character come in at draft 40, you know. So the plot keeps changing all the time. Um, maybe I'm just too happy staying in the story. Maybe I don't want to come out of the story. And when a new character comes in, mm -hmm. does it surprise you? Um, sometimes it does. I had a story recently where a new character came in. Um, it was a prompting from someone who had, an editor who had said, you know, maybe something here. And I looked at what they had suggested was quite a small something. And I thought, gosh, yes, you know, there's, there's something missing here. And the, the entire story changed. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a tangled process, I think. Um, actually, one of the things that I have written down to, to ask you is that as a writer, I would dearly love to be able to write faster and get to the end quicker without actually compromising quality. And perhaps there are flaws in my process or the thinking I bring to my work that slow me down. I know people who can produce really, really good work in five or six days. So what? Yeah. <laughs> so what if I, they can? I, I used to write faster than I do now. I think I write better now than I used okay. to. And I partly because I write slowly and it sounds like the same thing is I'm searching for something and I'm prepared to stay the course to find it. Writing fast means you can't necessarily, you're not necessary, you're just saying that'll do. You know, although some people, some very few people write and never change a word. So they form it in their head first. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how long it takes them to form it in their head though. So when you talk about time, carving at words often can take a long time, but thinking about them and getting them out right could take just as long. But I suppose the question is, why does one think one needs speed? Because 
in a therapy session or, or when I write, there might not be that many words. And you write short stories. And so every word has a tremendous weight, doesn't it? Because of the way it, way it um, has, to has to affect the reader and, and has to have a veracity for, well, for, for all of us who write. So I'm not sure that's got to do with speed. It's got to do with consideration and something authentic about what you're trying to express. Yeah, it might just be a form of impatience on my part because I'm thinking at the moment, say, I have maybe six half-written stories mm -hmm. on my computer and I would love to be able to find a way to, to complete them and move on to, to new ideas, but um, this process of constant redrafting is very, very Just stay slow. there and give me the ideas and then we'll be <laughs> a perfect pair. <laughs> well, did, didn't she already suggest yeah, we'll, we'll some ideas? <laughs> um, okay, you so you've got a very yeah. full, you've got a lot of stories that you want to tell, that engage you. Yeah, that's, a good, you. that's a good way of looking at it. I suppose that's more it's positive very, way. Yeah, you've got a really rich bowl there. Um, will I keep talking? Or you yeah, why don't you talk? Jillian will come in, I'll come in. Because the other thing I was going to ask you about um, was preoccupations. And when I wrote the stories for my collection, I wasn't writing with any theme in mind, but when it was finished and I could look back over them, I could see, and also other people could see, that there were themes um, emerging. And I used to think that, you, you know, a writer's preoccupations were her preoccupations and they couldn't be changed and, <coughs> excuse me, and that it would just be a waste of energy to, to try and move away from them, that that wouldn't be possible. And lately, I'm not sure if that's the case, and I'm wondering again, is it a question of habit? Um, maybe it has, just talking this through now, maybe it has to do with the the need for safety or security to keep returning to particular themes. Um, I don't know. Do you well, think they in interest you, obviously, and you feel some integrity going there, right? They're, they're yes, it's what, it's what I'm drawn to and things that I keep, um, I suppose, accidentally going back to, because sometimes even if I set out to write something completely different, so after I finished this collection, I wrote a radio story that was uh, in the voice of a computer. And I thought, okay, this is going to be really different and it's completely unlike anything in the collection. And yet, you know, when I looked back at the story at the end, I was happy with it, but I could see that it was um, still the same issues and preoccupations that I had applied to people were coming through when I started talking about the computers. So I'm just wondering about that. Are there ways that if I wanted to, um, to experiment with moving away from preoccupations, is that something that's grounded in the, the need for security maybe, or safety, is really it running towards safety, or is it possible for writers to, to I suppose, move into other things to use the material, because often there's a big material to use the tangle of material in different ways. I, so, sorry, Gillian, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, are you bored with what you write? 
I mean, is that why you want to move away? Because you're bored with it? Or does it, is it like you feel you should be writing about something else? I think I'm not bored with the stories because each one seems very different to me when I'm writing it. But, you know, at the end, I think, oh, I've, I've written another story about someone who's psychologically alienated. And, and there it is. I can see it in the story and people having difficulties um, you know, making, I suppose, meaningful communication with each other. And there it is. Even when I write in the voice of a computer, it, it's there. You know, <laughs> so. Um, so it's, I think, it's not that I'm bored, but I do think sometimes, is there, should I be pushing myself to through? But you haven't been writing things. that long in a funny way. This, this which is, is an, So you've yeah. got a trope, if you want okay. to put it that way. And if we were to look at, the history of Gillian's work, we would see certain themes and then we would see things opening up in a different way. So it may be that this is still such an incredibly rich area for you. I don't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody really approved. <laughs> but had to leave that room. Um, because I think certain things could interest one at a certain point and you could explore it. But look, there are a lot of writers who write the same book. Or, I mean, the same theme that is absolutely compelling and is compelling for us as readers. So I think unless you get uncomfortable with it, as Gillian asked you, do you need to, do you need to strap yourself and say no when you could just play with that, that those obsessions or preoccupations. Yeah, it is a slight worry to me, the idea of um, writing the same book, the idea of accidentally writing the same book over mm -hmm. and over. Um, I know some people are happy with that. I'm not sure it's something I'd... But so many like writers write about the search for love and disappointment and heroics and this, that and the other, and they, s you know, they write that story in many different ways, don't they? They write about loss, or they write about abandonment, or they write about longing. And it speaks to something in, in the human condition that, that we all relate to. And there are people who say that there are only seven or 13 stories in the world, how, or five or something, and everybody's writing them. But I'm interested that, it's, that you're worried about it, because it seems to me it's been so productive and interesting to you. Yeah, but you maybe you don't have to worry about mm, it. I um, would worry about anything. This is part of the problem. But, what, so but if you weren't worrying about it, okay, Tanya, what if you weren't worrying about it? Would it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I should just decide to, to stop worrying about it. <laughs> hmm. Well, shall we go and talk to you a bit more, Gillian, about this issue of story? Sure. <laughs> because one of the things that we were talking about when we weren't allowed to talk to each other backstage was Danielle saying she's got a, a hundred stories coming out of her. She's always got stories. And Gillian's saying, but my problem is I don't, I can't find stories. I mean, once I found them, I'm fine with them and she can do the magic that she does. It's, it's kind of interesting, that. What do you think that's about? I think, for me, writing 
maybe a process of putting into words what I don't know. Mm -hmm. But if I don't know it, how do I know what to write about? I think it's that conundrum. And finally, after the agony, I mean, my process of finding a book is, I'll get an idea, and I'll go and read about it in the library to see if I go anywhere with it. And I won't go anywhere with it. And then I'll get another idea, and then I'll get another idea. And eventually, I'll get an idea that sticks. I'd, and the problem is, I don't know how to short-circuit that process. And I do think it's very odd, because I'm a very opinionated person. I care about a lot of stuff in the world. There's huge numbers of stories out there. I have friends who are novelists who know the book they're writing, the one after that and the one after that. I've met short story writers who can write, you know, however many stories there are in that book, and they're not all the same, because I've read them. And somehow it is something that I find impossible. And I don't know, I, did, I mean, help me. Well, <laughs> Gillian, I mean, is it, what you're saying is that once you've got it, you can do it. So you're talking about a framework. The problem is having a, a scaffolding to tell, to explore whatever it is that you don't yet know that you're going to well, explore. Not necessarily. It may be, for example, um, I find it very hard, and this is going to sound silly, but anyway, I find it very hard to write an article or write a book if I don't know how it starts. Mm -hmm. But the agony of finding the start is extreme for me. And sometimes in thinking about writing a book, it isn't that I need a whole story. I just need that one idea, just like starting. You just need one mm -hmm. idea to start, and then you've got somewhere to go on. But it's finding the idea, and I never know what kind of idea it is. I, I, never, know where to, I never know where to find it. I mean, in a joking way, I was once teaching a, co a course, and I came out, and there was a poetry magazine in front of me, and I looked at it, and a poet had said, um, people are always asking me, where do you get your ideas from? And if I knew that, I'd go there more often. And that's what I feel, except I'm not writing... Po he uh, presumably gets them quite often, or he couldn't be a poet, because poets are really, poems are really relatively short. Mine can take a year or two, and in that year or two, it's a very difficult process for me, because I feel lost. And that's why I think probably I'm a writer. I write because I feel safe when I'm writing. And I feel unsafe when I'm not writing, but... It's okay, but what you're actually saying is that there's a lot of time that you're reiterating something about loss. How am I saying that? You said it took you, sometimes takes you a year or two to yeah. find the place. Yeah. And that's the missing bit, that you don't have the... Well, what can I say? I had a very difficult childhood. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't... Exactly. I was going to say, I, I, get, I get why that is. Shall we open it up for people to comment um, or ask questions? Or There are two mics, apparently. If you stick your hands up, I will get the mics to you in advance so that we don't have lots and lots of waiting. Or you could... There's somebody right at the back here, a uh, woman at the end of the row, last row. Anybody else? 
wants to come in. And a woman in a row with a Maslow shirt, third row, just to keep your hand up. We've only got two mics, and then we'll come to you over there with a red in the third row there. Okay, so please. Hi. Um, I was wondering how important it is for you to have readers as writers. Sorry, I didn't... Uh, how, the question readers. was how important it is to have readers. Um, well, there are two levels. Um, one of which is the reader that reads the book when you're finished. I don't think I think about them very much. Um, because you don't know who they are. And I think one of the great things about writing is you can write a book and think it's one thing. I think this is what you were talking about. And then a reader tells you it's something else. And they're just as right as you because they're reading it from their experience. And I, I've had it, you know, I, I've written the book that I um, um, talked about before, Red Dust. One of the characters in Red Dust I really did not like. Um, wasn't the murderer or the torturer, of course. It was some woman who hadn't done anything, but I really didn't like her. And I wrote her with quite a sense of dislike of her. And then a lot of readers came and told me that they, she was her, their favorite character. <laughs> what can you do? So in that sense, uh, but I don't, I don't think, you can't double guess a reader. It's hard enough being your own reader. Um, and so I don't think about them when I'm writing. But I do, in another sense, have a few readers who read my stuff. And they're very important to me. And it's really, really hard to find the right reader. Because you need to find somebody who is in sympathy with what you're writing, but also can be cited inside themselves. So they can read from themselves. And they can tell you what their experience is, as opposed to what you were trying to do. And those readers are really important to me because often they can tell me things that I need to hear um, because I'm so sucked into the words that I, I don't realize it. Danielle. Yeah, I also have um, people, I've, I'm part of the same writing group for years now and they read all my work. So that's huge benefit to my writing. So yeah, that's massively, massively important. Um, in terms of wider readership, yeah, um, it is important to me to think that someone else will read it when I'm writing. I know that there are people who write and they say they write for themselves and they're happy to write for themselves and it doesn't matter if anybody else reads it, but I don't feel that way about it and it's very important to me to know that there will be readers. So I think partly what I might be doing when I'm writing is I'm, I'm aiming for a connection. So I'm trying to make a connection with somebody. So I need to know that there will be somebody who will actually read it. I don't think my writing is that therapeutic for mm -hmm. me. And, you know, when I think about going into explore, explorations of very dark subject matter, um, writing about fears, I. Sometimes I think it's more I'm indulging my fears rather than dealing mm -hmm. with them. Um, so I'm not sure that writing helps me in that regard, but I do want to, it's almost like I want to put things on record. Um, so yeah, it's, 
it's a putting on record and it's a making of a connection. And um, it would upset me if I thought there wouldn't be readers for my work. Writing for myself wouldn't be enough. I, I think it's an interesting question. Maybe we'll come back to it when you say you indulge. Am I indulging my fears? Because I'm not sure. That, I think that might be a category error, Danielle. Okay. I mean, I don't think it's indulgent. I think it's a very interesting place to go to. The question is, if you get stuck, which I think it relates to, well, do I, should I be doing something different in the writing? You know, I, I know this isn't really addressed to me, but I write as a love letter to the world. I, I, that I do, could not write anything if I didn't write it as an act of love. I mean, See, well I really like the sound of that. <laughs> I like that. I mean, it's, it's for me, I obviously. I need to be I'm moving towards that approach. No, no, but <laughs> I'm trying to understand very dark things myself in my writing, right? About myself, about my practice, about the horror of the world that we live in. But I kind of want, I, I don't, anyway. Lady with the yeah, matter of discussing a little bit the question I had. It's to do the difference between resonance as a reader and identifying with characters. You know, like I resonate with some characters, but I identify with some. And sometimes I'm overwhelmed by the character. But I'm in in I'm very interested in your book in the um, the Red Dust one where you said you had that woman, and I know the woman you're talking about. And you I, liked her as well. No, didn't I, didn't. You? I didn't. I didn't. I thought she was desperate, but I, 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 but I did like the torturer. <laughs> they, he was my most successful character. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I suppose what I'm really interested in is your question originally: is where do I get my inspiration from, for, or where do I begin? And I suppose one of the things I've experienced, not in the field of writing, but in the field of physiotherapy, is that you begin where you are. You, you, just, you just take the step where it is. And I'm wondering, like, have you thought about where you started the other ones? And where, because that, that space mm -hmm. is where the, the kind of the, the, the launch takes place. It's something about that. And it's mm -hmm. not advice, but it's just a, a question. I haven't, and I, I'll certainly think about that. But what it also makes me feel is sometimes I get provoked into writing a book, although I don't know what it is, by reading really good, good stuff. You know, when I read a really good book that I think is speaking to me and is so well written, and I feel like I could never do that, mm -hmm. it's so good, that's when I want to do it. Mm -hmm. That's when I want to try mm -hmm. and, and aim for that height. So that probably is, I probably start at a position of having such ambition for myself, mm -hmm. you know, that I can create something, maybe not as good as that, but that will reach to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose it's whoever said, you know, you're always trying write better. You know, each time you try to write better, but I think reading sometimes gets me into that place because I think if somebody else could do it, maybe I can share and do do it. Mm -hmm. Two questions, please. Uh, Efren said everything's copy. I was just wondering, does that resonate with you? And can you speak into the mic? Efren said everything's copy. I was wondering, does that resonate with you three? And uh, what price do you pay for that? And the second question is, you haven't mentioned your editors and just wondering, is that relationship, how important is that? And can it be you know, positive or can it be actually catastrophic? <laughs> is everything copied? 
Um, what, what does that mean? That it means that you scavenge in people's, whatever they tell you, it, it, they, can, they can appear in a transmuted form. Oh, yeah, abs <laughs> absolutely. Um, I use all kinds of elements that um, I encounter in day-to-day -day life, and I put them in stories. I put an awful lot of myself in, in my stories. Um, I think I find it's a way of grounding a story that, you know, I'll put myself in there. When I started writing, I used to think that I had to make everything up. And for the first year or two, that was how I worked. I thought everything had to be made up. And then I realized, and through doing some writing workshops, and that actually people, a lot of people wrote by putting their own lives and themselves in their fiction. And I started doing that, and I think it made a huge difference to my writing. So. Um, Yes, I think everything everything is copy. I do use an awful lot of things, um, things I observe from other people's lives as well. But I, I would say that um, I'm more careful about other people than I am about myself. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that was one thing I was going. Another thing I was going to ask you about the self-destructiveness, really, sometimes of the writing process. I will be careful um, not to put anything in that I think might hurt somebody, um, somebody else, but I'm less careful about what I use about myself because if it's going to work for the story mm -hmm. and I need it, um, if it makes the story work, it will go in. And, and that's Why are you worried it. about that? Um, I think just to stand back from writing sometimes and look at it objectively, mm -hmm. sometimes I think the writing process can be quite self-destructive. I know, for example, the extent to which I allow writing to take over all other aspects of my life, for example, and the way I will use elements of my own life in my fiction. I'm not sure if somebody was to assess that objectively, that they'd say that was a good work practice. But work is where we live. You know, we live in our families or our politics or our social lives, but we also live at work. And so... Yeah, I... I agree with you that I think it's it's artificial maybe to try and put things into two separate categories, but it also occurs to me that um, there's a contradiction in my life in the way that I will, you know, spend hours and hours and hours and hours locked away writing stories about people attempting to make better connections with other human <laughs> beings, <laughs> and that the people in my own life won't see me or won't have heard from me for months on end sometimes if people didn't so turn up So that's your form of connection and yes, attachment. Through, through yeah. The story yeah. is stronger and I spend more time and give more attention to that perhaps than to realise mm -hmm. people. Gillian, what's yours? Um, just in that, I do know the feeling that sometimes when you're writing well and you're writing in a... Well, when I'm writing, I don't write short stories, when I'm writing in a book, those characters can feel more like life than life. Um, mm -hmm. But I think sometimes the work demands it. I, I'm not sure I do think that everything's copy. Mm -hmm. um, now, it may be that I got burned with my first book because I wrote my first book, and it's very unusual if you write your first book that you're going to get reviewed at all. But I got a tiny little review in a magazine called Time Out. And, you know, it was this size, but it included the words in brackets, and Gillian Slovo is a bitch. And, 
you know, when you write a book, you expect to be crit criticized, but you don't expect to be personally attacked. And I have no idea why that person did that. I mean, it's not, not the way that one should really write a review. Um, but, <laughs> but I think they might, I didn't know them, but I think they might have known somebody that I might have stereotyped a bit in my first book. And it made me feel like I have to be very careful about steering away from stealing pe bits of people and putting them in my book. So I don't actually think everything is copy. Um, I wrote a, a family memoir, which is, you know, was about my family. And I put in the truth, but I didn't put everything in because I don't think everything's copy. And I think there are times when you hurt people and I'm not in the business of doing that. I'm in the business of creating fiction. And, and in relation to editor, yeah, I think my editors, and I haven't, I've written quite a few books and I haven't had that many editors. And the reason is, is they're very crucial to me. Um, but only in a later stage, because I, I tend to think I do not use my editor even if I'm in trouble during the first, second, and 50th draft of a book because what I want from an editor is a read when I've done as much as I can do and then they can help me do even better. And I don't want to ruin them by showing them too many, many versions of it because I think the first read is very important. But then, yes, I think editors are crucial. They'll tell you things. Editors are the f most fantastic readers and quite often, you know, my, my editor that I had for a very long time would ask me questions about my book, and I would think to myself, why is she so stupid that she doesn't know that? But that was always the right question to ask, because what she was trying to do was not be me, but be reader, and to, to see problems in things that I couldn't see as problems, because I already knew what the answer was. So, I, yeah, I, I, I find it, I love, and I love the process, I love working with an editor. You? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I relied very much for all the stories in this collection on my editor to, to say that whether they were working or not and when they were finished as well, because I can never tell when a piece is finished, when, when it's working or not. Um, so absolutely, yeah, it's hugely <coughs> important. Should we have another tranche of questions, if there are, or comments? If there's... Somebody in the second row, greyish, in this, I mean, the sweater is greyish. Anywhere else? <laughs> and there's somebody over here. Somebody over here, I can't see front row. Also, it looks like sort of a low blue-grey colour. Yeah, okay. And where are we going to after that if we have time? Uh, at the top there? Okay, all right. Okay, fine, go ahead. In Gillian, if, and uh, maybe I misheard you, but you talked about you could go for a year without having an idea and you feel very lost, but you didn't refer to that as writer's block, but I, I would, in my own experience, um, and it's a place of loss as well. Um, yeah, I, do, I, don't, I, I don't know what writer's block is, which is probably why I don't refer to it as writer's block, and maybe that is what it is, but to me it's idea's block. Um, 
but, but maybe it is. I mean, I've had one experience, actually when I was, what was I, well, I was writing Red Dust. I wrote chapters one to three, um, and then I went to chapter four, and I couldn't write it. So my theory often is, um, if you can't write chapter four, there's something wrong with chapter three. So I rewrote chapter three, and I tell you, I rewrote chapter three for six months. My friends would ring me up and say, how's it going? I'd say, I'm in chapter three. <laughs> um, then I thought, okay, it's not chapter three, it's chapter two, and then it became chapter one. And then I realized that it was, the way I was thinking of the story was all wrong. And why I couldn't write chapter four, i.e. had writer's block, was actually because it shouldn't have been written. And neither should chapters one to three. I had to start all over again. And that was because I had conceptualized of the novel quite wrongly. I wasn't as interested in who I was writing about as I should have been, and I was more interested in other people, and I was allowing a kind of a rigid structure to make me believe that I could go on. So that, again, is a kind of a searching for the right idea going on. And that's the only time that I would say I had something that I would describe as writer's block. You know, inability to move on. But for me, there's always a reason why you can't move on, and it really... Off, you know, for me, it always is about the fact that you haven't laid the right foundation to be able to move on, and that's a very, you know, smart bit of your unconscious mm -hmm. preventing you from writing a whole book wrong. You know, it stops you in time and says, think about this because you're going somewhere you don't actually want to go. Yeah. I think that's so impressive, though, that you could you could accept that, really, that you could surrender to the wrongness of it. And, and I had no choice. Just <laughs> no, I think you probably did. I think, I think it speaks to your strength as a writer and your psychological strength that you could do that, actually. Because I think that's quite something to tolerate. You know, in a therapy session, somebody starts a conversation and then they say, oh, no, I didn't want to say that. I want to say this, right? That's a very easy. That isn't a year of three chapters being stuck on it. It's maybe, maybe a few sessions. I think that takes something. Hi, yeah, so there was two things. One was the themes of, um, of being lost and uncertain and not knowing what to write next and where it's going to go and the fear around that. It struck me that I think we're all lost. Just as a writer, you're aware that you're lost. You don't have the anchors <laughs> of work. You know, it's just, it's a very real. And, and then for me, so it's just, if you have any ideas on this, right? So I've written all my life, and in the last two years, I've just stopped. But the bit where I write because I get words in my head, and, I, and the sentences will come, and they'll just, and I'll get so far, and I'll just run with it. So I have no idea, you know, what I'm writing about. But I love that bit, and I feel home there, and I feel like this is real. <laughs> but then, like a few thousand words in, I'll stop and I'll go, what the fuck have I just done? And, you know, and, I, and the bit I hate and I don't want to do is the conscious bit where I go in and I go, then I have to plot it or to make sense out of it. That bit I have less interest in. Any, any thoughts on that one? <laughs> uh, to me, the trick of writing is 
actually, as I said before, rewriting. Um, and the trick of rewriting is to be able to read something as if it didn't come out of your own head. Because as long as it's just in your head, then you're only having a conversation with your head. Um, and you can't really see what's there because, I mean, I don't know whether you've ever done this, but I, I sometimes write stuff and I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I read it the next day and I realize those sentences don't even have verbs in them. They're totally <laughs> incoherent. But what's in my head wasn't incoherent. And the trick for me is you have to go through the agony, which I actually would argue, once you learned how to do it, is the pleasure of sort of making what was your head have more of a life outside of your head. You know, and that's the work of writing. And for me, if you can get to learn that that's the nicest bit of writing, rather than the just splurging out the stuff that seems so urgent, then I think you can progress in that way. But wait a minute, she doesn't want to take that away from herself. She may want to add your thing, and she enjoys that bit. Yes, well then she should keep going <laughs> until the end of the book and then rewrite it. <laughs> Who's got the mic? Um, I've got a question for Danielle. And um, when you said you wish you wrote more quickly, um, are you sometimes with a story and you just wish you were shut of it, or is are you is there a feeling of um, yeah, I've just wanted to be shut with shut of it and, and frustrated with it and and that self-criticism and that self-loathing, dare I say, that that comes into writing and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's, um, it's a funny combination of things, actually. By the time I get a story finished, yeah, usually I'm, oh, okay, I'm putting this away, I'm not, not going to look at it again, because it has been such work to get it finished. Um, I think getting things, my wish to get things done more quickly is more that I'd like to be able to work them out more quickly and move on to completing ideas. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's not that I, I do like writing them, and I suppose I'm reasonably happy with the process of repetition that's involved in my writing mm -hmm. process, because part of the reason why they take me so long and I have so many drafts um, is that when I'm writing and I'm stuck as to what comes next, I just go back to the start the next day and I rewrite from the beginning <laughs> roughly in my notebook. So I'll just, if I have five images or things that I think are going to work into a story, I write those out longhand in a notebook. If it doesn't progress past five the next day, I'll maybe get a new sheet and write them out again longhand, the same five points, maybe see if something else comes in. If it's still not working the next day, I'll repeat it again. Um, I'll write the same five points out and something else might come in. And if I do that long enough, eventually it grows and it comes together into a story. So. I think I would like if that happened maybe sometime around draft seven or eight and that came together rather than draft 50. Um, I think it's more a wish to be able to complete things because 
I find I don't find getting ideas difficult. I find you know they come easily, and I have them all, and I'm wondering how they will work together. I want to get I want to get the stories made because I have lots of ideas for stories, but it takes a long time to complete them. It's, I but want the process. How would you feel quicker. about giving that to your process? How would you feel about giving up that companionship with with the story that you're in and the characters? Yeah, I suppose I haven't I haven't thought about that too much. Um, yeah, because maybe maybe your I process need a time to get close. To yes, them. that that's what it sounds yeah. like to me. I think partly what's happening when I'm rewriting things, I'm working out the dynamics of the relationships within the story in a way that it is impossible to do with conversations or encounters between people in real life. And sometimes in a story, characters, um, they'll reveal themselves to me more as I rewrite. So. Um, I'll maybe do a scene, you know, 20 or 30 times and I think, oh yes, now I understand what the dynamic mm -hmm. is between these two people. And, and you know, that's not something we can do in real life. In real life, we have a conversation, we don't know what that was about and then it's over, you know. We're no closer to the person we had the conversation with because, you know, you can't just rerun it. Whereas well, I think not unless you're in analysis, no. <laughs> <laughs> you rerun conversations non-stop. <laughs> But I, but that really speaks to me, really, yeah. because I think part of the, with writing is, if you've written and you know how to write, it's relatively easy to write if you know what you want to say, but the agony and the working is working out what you actually want to say, and that's what needs uncovering, you know, and can take a lot of drafts and a lot of changes. And how you want to say it. Yeah. I mean, tonally. How yes, how is yeah. important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about that lately. The how of how you tell the story is yeah. possibly you as see, important I as I think you want to write so faster. I do, yeah, yes. You get, get my problem. You see, because what <laughs> happens to me in a book, by the time I'm in the last third of a book or maybe the last quarter of the book, I am actually writing faster. And the reason is, is I know what the book's about. The first three quarters was trying to work out what the book is about. So by the time I come to the last quarter, I'm writing faster. I often finish a book before I expect to, but there's a voice in my head that says, stop writing so fast, because if you finish this book, you're only going to have to write another one, <laughs> and you don't have an no, idea. You say two things, Julian. You say that, but you also say, I'm going to have to go back to the beginning, because the beginnings don't work yeah. as well as the ends, because <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. yeah I think true. we've probably got time for one, maybe two questions. Hi. Because I really loved reading your memoir uh, quite a long time ago now, but I have it with me. Um, I wanted to ask you: Could you talk about how you reached the decision to write that book, and how the process differed to writing your fiction, and maybe then just the effect it might have had on you? Thanks. I I can't tell you why I thought to write the book because I can't remember, but I can make an assumption about it, which is. That book is about the difficult childhood that I was talking about. And uh, my parents were politically involved in South Africa. And the time I wrote the book was, after, was around the time of the first democratic election in South Africa. So it was the first time I could write that book um, because people were willing to talk. 
whereas beforehand everything that my parents did and had been involved with was secret and they wouldn't have talked honestly. Um, and it was, it was um, really hard for me to research that book. I went to South Africa to do it because I had thought that you know people would now talk and therefore I could ask them questions. What I hadn't understood was how difficult it was going to be for me to ask those questions because I had been brought up not to ask, you know, to actually accept that you can't get the answers to what really happened or what people were up to. Um, and for me to ask the questions felt very dangerous. I was also asking, delving into my family's life. I was delving into, my mother was by then dead, but it, so it was easier in some ways. My father was mortally ill when I was writing it, and he really did not want me to write that book. Um, and he was quite tetchy about it, and at one point, he shouted at me, it's my life, not yours. And I had to think very seriously about that, because as I say, I, I don't think anything goes in writing. I don't think you can make everything public, and I don't think you have rights to other people's stories in that way. But I had to think, is he right? Is it actually his life and not mine, or is it his life and my life? And in the end, that's what I decided it was. And actually, I think that's what the book's about. It's partly about me trying to claim that history through my eyes rather than through theirs. Um, I don't know if that was the, the question. I don't know whether I answered the question you were asking, but yeah. One last question, because then I think we get thrown out. I don't know where to go. Okay, everybody's pointing to the front here. Thank you all. I've really enjoyed um, this evening. Um, I suppose I, I've made the transition from being an artist to an analyst. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed, I suppose, in the process, and something that you've touched a lot on is, uh, and rec I suppose I recognise and identify, is the frontier space of, of writing, the beginning, this, this, the creating something new where there is nothing. And, and such a part of it is not knowing and actually trying to tolerate not knowing and and how actually difficult it is because we're constantly searching for the answer you know and but, but what i was struck by was how you know it when you see it <laughs> that there's a sense that it arrives however it comes you know and it kind of i suppose it's it links back to um freud really would have uh, the way in which he might have articulated it in a sense that um that the gift of the writer is to write from their experience to construct a world that is their own and made uh, in 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 a way and in a manner that that becomes uh, more pleasing to the writer. So it, it creates that world in a sense. But the gift, I suppose, as writers is that you provide it to the rest of us to read and to enter into that world. Um, so it's really just ending on that and saying thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. So I think we have to end. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you.